everybody who happens to catch us on the night of you know it's uh they get to see some of the okay are we live there we go all right are we live over here yes we are cool <laughs> and i love that on my camera hollow nine is spelled backwards but on the camera camera <laughs> on the, everybody else out there is seeing it spelled correctly so that's great all good i'm gonna keep my eye on the chat in case anybody joins us but yeah you know it's almost like a little bonus for whoever uh catches us live gets to participate in the chat and then um you know they get to see all this little pre-show banter which will ultimately make its way into a thing i'm calling night riders which is the sort of 2.0 version of a show we used to do called the lone gunman which was just all the banter and behind the scenes stuff on like every recording uh, but that was when we were all recording a lot more and a lot more regularly. So I don't know. It's been a while to kind of collect new stuff. And we don't have all the same people who used to be with us. So it's kind of like I wanted to do like a new version of that. So there is some sort of weird method to some of the madness going on over here. <laughs> Every once in a while, things make sense when they get explained. I've also been, oh, I was going to send you. Maybe I'll send it after we get off the call. But, um, I was going to send you, I have like the first 90 seconds, which I think is going to be the uh, sort of the creative intro to the interview I did with that guy who wrote the theme to The Lost Boys. Oh, that, very cool. Yeah, it's like a one hour interview. So I'm trying to like cut that down and get at least a few pieces pulled together to send to him. He's it's weird. Like that guy has my my number. We text each other now. You know what I mean? Like I got a text going like, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to get you all those things we talked about in the interview, some of the footage and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, man, that's all good because uh, I was uh, I didn't want to wait any longer. So I just downloaded a bunch of your stuff off of YouTube. So hopefully you won't get upset when you see a lot of familiar imagery in there um but it's cool because i figure this guy is the one who owns all this stuff so i can use his music and i can use footage of him in concerts and stuff and his music videos so it's uh it's nice to have a lot of resources like that i'm feeling like it's gonna be a really cool project it's probably just gonna get released in chapters you know what i mean like because uh, he's doing a tour of the he's doing a musical based on the lost boys that he wrote so he's what he's doing first is releasing the album with the music kind of like the way the who did tommy they're doing this yeah. and then he's touring and doing a few small shows of the album and then they're going to do the stage show like the for real broadway awesome. and that's gonna tour <laughs> it's, it's like the lost boys is gonna have this whole new life on stage so that's pretty awesome <laughs> all right well i guess we'll see we may have some people join us part way through that's kind of what i'm thinking is just uh if anyone sees the SOS uh, seat on show, <laughs> SOS stands for seat on show. <laughs> we have an SOS available over here. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. If not, we'll just tackle this uh, like Ford and Tench always do. Yep. Um, all right. And then get called on the carpet. Yeah, of course. That's what happens. Already, uh, man, I can't believe we're only, you know, this and the next episode, the last ones, season's over. And then I think October is when it's coming back. Is that what I keep saying? November is what I've heard. So we'll get a little break and then we'll be right back in it. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'll count us in. I'm going to start the episode in the background here. And we will get going in three, two, one. Okay, uh, we are very, very near to the end of our our journey here as the Hollow Nine Network Behavioral Sciences Division investigative team. I am uh, the director of the team, David Clone, and uh, joining me tonight is uh, my partner in 
anti-crime, <laughs> Mr. T.W. Brown, author of the Dead series and uh, one of the major voices on Tangent City. How are you tonight, sir? Special agent, however you'd like oh, to be. Man, I got to say, I'm doing pretty well. We had, uh, I put a tenderloin in the Traeger, so that's, uh, you know, put dinner down and then had some, uh, the, the wife made some stuff with blueberries for dessert, so... Uh, uh, also, monitoring the blood sugar. Blood sugar. Uh, I was about to say the blueberries suddenly reminded me of uh, the the new life that you're living. Um, how well, hopefully everything's going well with the constant uh, getting used to that. I uh, well, I was grocery shopping the other night, and um, usually at the one grocery store where I go to, they have every so every couple of weeks it changes what uh, charity they have. Like right at the counter, they have those things that you could tear off and just do like a one or a three or a five dollar donation. Right. And uh, this time they didn't ask, but the stack was just sitting there and it was blank. So you get to write your name on it. But it was for um, dollars towards diabetes. And so uh, I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to put three bucks on. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I wrote this is from David Clove Moresco, which I realized nobody who sees it would ever um realize who or what that means <laughs> until we uh, run the world that's not going to be as significant as it would be to say our audience. So I figured I would let everybody know um, that the Hollow Nine Network is always uh, looking to give back. But in honor of our buddy TW here, uh, this this time we gave to uh, dollars towards diabetes or whatever it's called. It's the one with Snoopy. Snoopy's the blue guy. On. I've, got, <laughs> I've got water with some more blueberries in it. So, you know, kind of flavoring the water and because no more soda for this kid. God, um, man, not even like the diets or the zeros. You can. Uh, but one of the things that I read is that it really sort of keeps that desire for sweets sort of percolating. Gotcha. And right now I'm just trying to, you know, trying to cut that cut that down so you know but uh went out and started my 5k training today so i was back out there pounding roads just like back when i was training for spartans um but doing it a lot more easy now i mean i'm not hitting it the way i did when i was spartan training this is a whole different thing so yeah man and then i visited the bees that are going to be sending some uh, hollow nine honey so had the had the bee inspection today so that was cool Sweet. Keeping the planet populated pollen-wise. Yep. Love it. And uh, I guess I'll have to send some of these Hollow Nine hats and uh, t-shirts back your way as yep. a thank you for the honey and so that you could kind of wear uh, something to protect your head while you're out there as well. We have the both have the Mr. Clean thing going on. And I remember the first time I actually shaved my head um, I had when I had the barber do it. Because, you know, I, I needed to ease into this. I know everyone who's came from Mindhunter is like, is this how fucking serial killer? This is what happens. You start talking about this shit and you wind up in some kind of spiral that ends with I need to take a human life. Um, <laughs> but I remember the first thing I said is, all right, now be careful, man. This is the first time this part of your scalp is going to be exposed to the sun all the time. You got to make sure you put sunscreen on. It's something I don't do. I realize it's like uh, I totally forget about that on the constant. So I'm going to have to get better about it. Um, we shall yeah, see. I don't want to have to start donating to skin cancer <laughs> in your name. So uh, <laughs> Mind Hunter becomes like a big disease talk show. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a sick ward now, you know. <laughs> we our various plagues and diseases. That's hilarious. Oh man. But, um, yeah, so I guess now that we've got the check-ins and check-ups and we're all still here and we're all still doing all right, all right enough to catch up with our detectives on the Netflix original show, Mind Hunter. Uh, 
jarring open for this one i gotta say i, yeah. I remember at this point I, I i don't know how many how, how you've watched the episodes a bunch of times i'm sure i've watched yeah. them every time we get ready to record so i feel like at this point season one has been run <laughs> a bunch of times by these eyes but uh i still remember the first time this episode started this cold open i found to be the most uh chilling of them all which is why I ended the last episode with a bit of a teaser about it. Um, because what we get is we get Dennis Rader sitting in somebody's house, gloved up and suited up and everything else like that. And he's looking around. Now he, he takes his, he takes his little water sip. Then he goes to the bath or to the kitchen. He cleans it all up. He had what he was called, what was, was called a right hand method. So you just start on the right side of the house and you do a complete circuit through the house, making sure you clean everything up, wipe everything down, leaving no trace of your. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So you start at a door and you just stick to the right hand side of the house and you go through the entire thing to make sure that it's clean. This is so, how he evaded being discovered for so long. Right, right. For and what's funny is, and and I don't mean it in a in a good way, but the guy was really kind of an idiot because you get a chance to read some of the letters that he sent in. He can't his his grasp of of just basic English grammar is atrocious. I mean, it's 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 beyond bad. Um, but what we get is we get him going into the kitchen and cleaning up. And what he has done is he has killed. Um, I'm pretty sure her first name was Kathy. Kathy Fox. Um, he had found her, stalked her, and waited because he knew when she got home from work mm -hmm. and went into her house. When he went into her house, one of his common uh, setups was he would tell people, look, I'm on the run from the cops. They're looking for me. I'm just here to rob you. Everything's going to be cool. I just I need to tie you up, and then I'm going to get my what I need, and I'm going to split. And the whole thing with Fox just kind of, she doesn't buy into any of his crap. Okay. And she's, she, and she back talks him several times, according to, you know, his accounts of it. I mean, she really kind of doesn't take any of his grief. So they sit there for a while, they have a cigarette, they talk, and then he tells her, you know, that he's going to tie her up and... She's like, all right, well, let's hurry up and get this over with. Can I go to the bathroom first? And he says, sure. And But when you come out, be undressed. <laughs> um, wow. And she comes in and then he ties her up and he, and he chokes her out and everything else like that. And that whole scene, when, when you get to hear his confession on it, when he's in his, when he's at the sentencing hearing, if you ever Google the Dennis Rader um, confession, and listen to the 46 minutes worth of it, it it actually it, it erodes some of your faith in humanity because wow. this is just, there is nothing to this for him. He, this, he doesn't care. These, these were not, they didn't matter. And it's even worse if you have the fortitude to sit through his 26 minute, um, the when he was sentenced and he had, he got to address the court. It's 26 minutes of the most rambling, nonsensical crap you're ever going to hear in your life. He thanks the police for being so effective. He thanks the other inmates that he met while he was in jail, while he was going to go to trial. He names them by name. He, I mean, it just, there's, th this guy is so out of touch. But that little, you know, victory scream that he did right before he left, that was just like his 
final release. You know, he he did it. He got himself another one. And is that what that was to me? Yeah. Now, until you had told me that that was from having done this research, uh, being a sort of resident expert uh, now on the show, uh, actually doing homework. Thank you for doing that. Um, <laughs> I originally read this as he was waiting that we we were still we were seeing him in the still waiting for the person to come home phase. Um, and then it's on the second viewing. I started to think maybe the person was still like upstairs somewhere tied up or something. And I thought that that. Uh, I was going to call it a tick, to be honest. I wasn't going to call it a victory cheer or anything. Um, it seemed to me like almost like that last minute struggle with, am I going to do this or am I going to not do this? And then it's like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. You know, and then he like goes and storms off. And I assumed it was to go out and kill the people. If uh, this is Kathy Fox, then this is by now his sixth victim. Wow. Okay. okay. And actually, he had one that survived because he shot one man in the face twice. Because when he went to when he went to get the woman, actually, her brother came in with her, and he ended up having to go to his gun, and he shot the guy shot the guy in the face twice. And that guy lived. And the guy lives. He gets out and actually gets help. And paramedics arrive on the scene, and the woman, and I believe it's I believe it's Vian, and she's lying there on the floor. Or no, Vine's the one with the kids. But anyway, she's lying there on the floor begging the paramedics not to let her die. Telling wow. them she can't breathe because she's been so damaged and messed up. And it's but he was at the I mean, he was at the sentencing hearing. So, you know, he got to be a part of watching Raider go up for 175 years. But if this is Fox, then this is this was number six. The other thing is, is this could be, and I believe her name was Sue. He actually stalks one woman and then she does not come home. Oh, wow. And yeah. he sends a letter, this poem to the press. And it's, why didn't you come home? You know, type. And it's this really creepy poem. And I might try to find it so that if we talk about BTK in the future, I can sort of share that bit with you. But it's this really creepy poem. So there was actually supposed to be a victim that did not show up at her house. So my other thought is, if that's not Nancy's house, then it is the woman that didn't show. And that scream was his frustration. Yeah. See, like that is a lot closer to what I feel like no, I read. It, yeah. It's one of those two. So I, I'm actually... Uh, I'm actually... <laughs> on which one it is because it reminded me a lot of um their the the moment in no country for old men when we see yeah. uh javier bardem's uh anton chigur go into um oh i literally just lost his name <laughs> josh brolin's character right uh well he goes into his trailer and he just kind of like goes and gets the milk out of the fridge and sits on the couch and is waiting for a while and um Llewellyn Moss, Jesus, <laughs> Llewellyn Moss's trailer. And um, and then later, uh, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones kind of comes in and does the same thing. So I felt like this framing had a little bit of that familiarity to it. And the fact that he goes and looks out the window and then cleans the glass and puts it away. But, see, the thing is, is that I he waited for Fox to arrive in the kitchen. And when this scene uh, and then afterwards, he he uh he just sort of he, he he was really happy because he had not been rushed and had been able to actually do all the things that he wanted because a couple of his his victims um 
quote, get lucky because he ran out of time. He he was concerned about one thing or the other and had to hurry up and get out of there. Uh, so he like so he he didn't kill people quickly. This was like the bind torture kill. It was like there was a and was it uh was it sexual torture? I mean, was he raping yes, people? In fact, the first family he kills, which is the Oteros, when when this spree for his begins, he originally had targeted the mother and daughter. And unfortunately, what he does not understand or know is that Joseph Senior uh, Otero, Joseph Otero Senior had wrecked his car a couple weeks early. So their schedule that he had stalked and yeah. basically memorized was all gone out the window because they only had the one car. So he had to go out, come back. There was all this going on. The older kids leave for school and the younger kids are at home. And so is Joseph and his wife. And Raider gets to the back door. The other thing he doesn't know is that they have a dog. So mm -hmm. he dog and anything but when he goes to the back door little joseph joseph otero jr opens the door and raider basically pushes him in goes into the house realizes well okay i'm gonna have to deal with this and then joseph otero senior comes around and it all goes wrong for raider from that point forward so when he gets otero senior wrapped up he actually puts a bag over his head to to, to suffocate him and otero senior rips the bag oh shit wow he puts a shirt over his head and then another bag to seal him off. And then the wife, he had strangled her with his hands and hadn't realized how difficult. Now, these are his words. He did not realize how difficult it was to strangle a person to death. So he thought she was dead. Let her go. Then he strangles little Josephine, the 11-year-old girl, lets her go, takes the boy into the other room after rebagging Otero Sr., takes the boy, puts a shirt over his head, puts a bag over his head, and then watches him suffocate, sits in a chair and watches him for a while, then goes back and kills the the, the wife, and then takes Josephine downstairs, the 11-year-old girl, and he actually binds her up, strings her up from a pipe, and hangs her, and then masturbates on her after he's done. Now, wow. listen, if you wow. listen to his recount of that exact crime in his because he tells you all of this uh, at his sentencing. He's asked to recount his crimes at his sentencing. And listening to him talk about this, it, it's just, it actually made one of my, one of my daughters was here listening to it because I was, we were talking about it. So I played it for her and it made her cry. It was yeah. so upsetting for her to listen to a person talk like that with no emotion and no, no remorse. You know? Well, just the fact that it confirms that there are people like this out there, that there are these yeah. people who have zero connection to the human race. <laughs> I mean, that is where I, you know, not to make light of this, but this is kind of where my mind, I guess, is so easily uh, finding it easy to accept the idea behind some of these sort of conspiracy theories that like, yeah, some people out here are not human beings, man. It has to be. It has to be, you know, like that is a, is a reptilian gone wild or like somebody who's uh, whose last control that was installed, like failed because the fact that it's, you know, when you hear somebody talk about like even the way you were describing it, I'm like, I don't know if I have the stomach to go listen to this, but um, it it strikes me in a little bit more of a way of kind of the way Holden looks at these things on these show on the show. And I think that's supposed to be the biggest parallel we're all supposed to take, especially in the next episode. But for sure, in this one, too, actually, there's a scene in this one that I think is cool, but scary at the same time. Um, but it's the idea about the 
spec scene, aren't we? <laughs> well, the, no, no, no. The, well, that yeah, that's the spec scene is I mean everybody's favorite scene. But later when he when he and uh, Tench are in Georgia and the the local Georgia PD is like watching them and they're kind of like like holding staring forward. Tench looks at him every once in a while, but he tends to look forward while he's smoking his cigarette as well. But it's the fact that their minds kick into the sort of mentality of what the serial killer is thinking. And like the Georgia guy's just like watching this, like, like what the fuck? And it's, it's that sort of level where you can kind of disconnect your humanity to look at it as a scientific process. And that's why I guess in my mind, I could, I could understand the existence of this phenomenon if that were an explanation if there are there are people who look like people but they're not really people they're like these either other entities other kind of species some shit whatever but if they're a different like a whole different type of organism and they just like like lost track of their what are the rules of humans you know mode for a few minutes that makes a lot more sense that then they would do things like i sat there and watched him suffocate just to observe what that phenomenon is like and so now i have that in my recorded knowledge and i can recall what it's like to see somebody going through that what i feel while while i'm watching them and i'm sure whatever he hears to indicate what the experience is like for them yeah um well and that's the thing is is listening to this and and realize that this is this little snippet that we get at the start of the episode is basically teasing us about the longest running if you don't want to count jack the ripper who was never caught um the longest running serial killer you know, and did not evade capture. Now he doesn't ring up the death count that some of the more infamous ones like Bundy and Gacy do. But you, the other thing is, and, and what people might not really hold on to unless you start looking into this is we're talking about Park City in Wichita, Kansas. Okay, these are very small towns. Yeah, now, when this happened. It terrorized the entire city because. They made it public on the news and in the paper that his method was he would cut your phone line from outside the house. And so people were actually calling their homes before they would go home from work to see if their phone was working. Oh, wow. Go to their house and look to see if their phone line was cut before they would enter their house. I mean, mean, and this happened for this was a regular occurrence for many of the citizens of this area for years because of the fear and people being people, you know, they would get phone calls from, you know, people they didn't know. And they would say, I'm BGK and I'm coming for you. Kind of like, you know, the scream thing. Yeah. This was the scariest thing going in that community. And it affected the whole town. Yeah. Altered lives. I mean, there, there are a group of children whose mother is killed by BGK and they're basically concealed or con- confined to a bathroom and he throws some toys in there for them to keep themselves quiet and kills their mother and leaves. And these kids had to grow up with that. And the little boy that opened the door, of course, he becomes uh, he gets strung out on drugs. He's in and out of jail for the rest of his life. I mean, this is these are lives ruined. Yeah. Things that we don't think about. And we get this little snippet. And that is, you know if you start looking into this stuff and then we get to the show and and they go and they see spec and, and everything else like that, seeing what these guys are doing and what they're trying to take off the street 
if it causes a couple of people, because I can't be the only person that got interested enough to start looking this stuff up and maybe find out what the deal was. And if it makes people more aware of what's out there, you know, I mean, a show like this is actually almost, I, I, I don't want to really ruin the word educational, but there's a real educational value to this program yeah. because you're getting a chance to see how these guys did what they did. And it's a very scaled down version. What happens in Georgia, listening to that chapter in his book is riveting, absolutely mm. riveting, you know, which has got me so excited for next year when they're going to do the Atlanta child murders and the way he went about the process to catch this guy who racks up an enormous death count, but only gets tried for a few of the people that he actually kills. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing because you're going to see a frustration level if they hold true to the story that I've listened to, because they're still not being taken seriously. Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot that happens in this episode that uh, brings all. You know, I think there's a certain level of with the show, and it all really kicks in once we meet Ed Kemper in episode like two or three, and mm -hmm. then it carries through the rest. You know, we even get a new case after spec. It's almost like. This episode was jam packed because we have so much happen in it um, between. And then the fact that, like, you know, we spent so much time already just now talking about BTK and he's just these quick little snippets at the beginning. Yeah. But e each thing that they show us uh, tends to somehow connect. Maybe to, I guess maybe I'm lying if I feel like I've noticed this every episode, but definitely for sure this one um, and some of the things that we're talking about with the btk connect mm -hmm. to the sort of hook about the new case that they get in this you know yeah. the idea that a lot of these serial killers which is, is also the first episode where we hear that term sort of codified right yeah. uh, there were a couple of episodes uh, uh lines of dialogue in this episode that were both big in the trailer and and lines i was considering using for our intro for this show that for our podcast, you know, there was a trying to pick which lines to do for that was uh, not as easy as I thought it was going to be, because uh, even the serial killers one, you know, I wanted to at least maintain some of the air of mystery that the show has when it starts. You know, I don't want to basically say that the punchline of the joke in the tr in the intro for our podcast. You right, know what right, I mean? right. So that's right. kind of how I look at stuff like that. But um the one about if you want truffles you got to get in the dirt with the pigs that was a big one in the trailer for the entire season when the season hadn't started yet mm -hmm. um and i really wanted to say it in the open but i felt like it didn't connect as well but the the sort of infight that begins in this episode for the the team dynamic yeah um, but you know what? I think you had a good you would have had a good leg to stand on about in the dirt with a pig because that whole spec thing, you had two agents that were looking that were going at that very differently. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that goes to the conversation on the airplane where you know the suggestion is made, yeah, maybe you lose the first three minutes of that tape. Maybe you do a little Nixon work on that tape because mm, Yeah. But, I mean, the one thing I, I I guess I like tension, I feel like <clears throat> especially watching it for the record tonight. I felt like for some for some time this time through, I identified with him the most at the most moments in this episode, um, especially. I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, I think when we're watching the show, we're all supposed to feel at times that we want to be more like Holden, you know, and I think we all have at least some of the interest in this subject matter to make us all a little bit like Holden. 
And uh, but Holden's going in like the fact that he would even wonder if it was appropriate or not to ask Speck for an autograph. You know what I mean? Whereas like it's I, I could totally see myself wearing the Hollow Nine hat going like, oh, shit, I'm interviewing this guy today. I totally want to get a selfie with him before we leave. It's like, dude, this guy killed nine people and raped one of them like you want a selfie with that guy? i'm like well he's he's part of my collection now i'm interviewing these motherfuckers we're gonna write a book about him right you know it's like that's kind of you know i can kind of see but i could also see tench going dude shut up i don't even want to hear you ask yeah, I, have to, I have to admit to a little bit of that when i met bobby Boussoulet, one of the one of the members of the manson family when i was doing time and at first i was like i'm sitting here with a piece of history a piece of cultural history you know and but the thing is is it only took about 20 minutes of hanging with him to just he would he just became bobby and he was teaching me how to play guitar yeah. you know and so it, it, that's yeah but i mean somebody like like you know like speck or or kemper um you know you you, you almost want to you almost want a piece of that to hold on to to, to know that it was real yeah, I mean, there is. There, so, you know, one of the things, especially in particular with Spec, I felt like when we were when this show, you know, at first when this show started, I think I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times. Um, I wasn't sure how close to the accuracy with history it was going. And I, I definitely did not do enough research to know that it was based on a book which was written by the guy who Holden's character. Is it Holden's character or Tench's character? Yeah, Holden's character is based on, yeah. And so... Um, if I had known those things, I probably wouldn't have thought this, but I leaned it a lot more in the historical fiction, like hot, much, much heavier on the fiction side. And I thought just from the way that Holden is being portrayed, that the big the sort of big arc of the show is we're watching this person who gets so fascinated with these people from a scientific psychological perspective that it almost makes what makes them the subjects he's studying such aberrations from normal society is going to spread to him like a virus and this whole show is really going to be about his downfall and becoming one of the people that he's been hunting this whole time and it turns out at the end that he's hunting his own mind fincher <laughs> i and, i'm hoping that's kind of where it was going fincher still. and that's the thing is that even the actors himself said that he's been hit up by that same theory so many times and if you get a chance to to actually listen um, to, to some of the stuff that is is said in the in the book uh, in the Mindhunter book, um, and, and I've, I'm bringing up the guy's name, so you have to sort of forgive the fact that I'm a little slow on this um, because for some reason, only thing that wants to come up is David Spade, which that's not him. Uh, the guy's name is John Douglas, and if you want to, if, if you want to, John Douglas actually says at one point that he. This could have been him because he does admit to having so many of the characteristics of the people he's going after. Yeah. And for his mind to work the way it does, the difference is he focused all of his attention on helping and protecting versus gratification. Yeah, he's almost like the person who would grow up to be Dexter's dad in real life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like he would be the person who, if he had a kid and the kid was showing tendencies towards becoming a serial killer, like the mutilating animals or whatever the hell, um, very much like on the show, Dexter, he would be the one like, okay, I could see where your mind is. We're going to have to channel this in a positive direction 
and we'll just have you hunt serial killers. In fact, I mean, Mind Hunter is sort of, Dexter is sort of like a very kind of interesting take on what Mind Hunter is turning out to really be. Yeah. You know, like the idea of the idea that this type of persona is something that you could just be born with. Um, but I guess in Dexter, they did eventually explain that it, it stemmed from a childhood trauma. Um, Holden is almost like he's got the fascination without the trauma from what we can understand. Like, I know he he told uh, Brutus was it Brutus. Yeah, he told Brutus that uh, his mom walked in on him jerking off. Not quite traumatic enough in my mind to be making him like one of these serial killers right. who is like taking trophies and finding new and interesting ways to end lives and whatever. Um but I, I do think that once it became clear to me, and I think it was from, you know, the first record of this show, probably uh, right. that this was so based on truth and reality and the idea that that was the BTK killer we're seeing in all those opens. It definitely made me, I guess, feel like. I don't know, like almost like I was disappointed in the idea of that possibility is not there anymore that holding could turn into one of these guys you know like i felt like there was something that had so much gravity about that that made it feel like yeah man from the guy who brought us fight club of course that's the, the what this show should be about you know um and it's still like i i personally feel like i wrestle with it a little bit but i still like to point out and notice and i think that it's obviously done that way on purpose there's no way fincher would accidentally have this character be sort of coming off similar i mean that's why tench gets so weirded out by him all the time right. and he's like yep. dude why do you like these guys you're gonna ask him for his autograph oh wait do you think that would be inappropriate like dude i don't even want to go to this one with you now yeah. you know what i mean and the fact that he was even like you would give up an opportunity to meet richard speck but to get back to the idea that speck i had heard of uh from working on a podcast about american horror story for years and one of my co-hosts on that show was actually very into <laughs> sounds scary uh, jamie i apologize if you're listening i'm not <laughs> trying to paint you in a weird light but he did, did do a lot of research on real life serial killers and we we, we brought that up a lot discussing a lot of the killers who were portrayed on american horror story throughout the seasons in fact season five the hotel season featured a lot of those serial killers coming to the hotel, especially for Halloween. And they had um, Richard Speck wasn't there, but they had Gacy. They had Richie. Uh, was it Richie Rodriguez? Uh, Richie Ramirez. And H.H. Um, H. Holmes is who the uh, character was based on. And he was the guy in Chicago who actually built a giant murder hotel that had like oh, rooms yeah. that were designed to kill you. And there were shoots to get rid of bodies and all kinds of shit. A lot of hotel was based on that. But I had heard the name Speck brought up so many times because Jamie seems to actually have a really and I think they did portray somebody who was supposed to be Richard Speck in season two of uh, American Horror Story. So that the way American Horror Story does these things is it takes the very obvious reference to a real historical figure and then totally TVs it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of creative liberty taken and a lot of massaging it. So it's much more not even historical fiction, just like fiction very loosely based on a historical figure and i thought in my mind there might have been a time where this show was going to fall into that category as well yeah you, you and i would have had a blast watching last season side by side i think <laughs> of uh last season of 
American Horror Story. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't watch Cult at all, and I didn't watch... Um, I watched, like, three episodes of Roanoke, and I was like, you know what? I'm finally off the fucking bandwagon with this show. <laughs> they finally found a season that made me sit there, because I remember watching other seasons. Not that we shouldn't be talking about Mindhunter right now, but what's a podcast if it doesn't go rambling off a little... We don't change the topics moment. at least six times. It's not a good show. I mean... Um, I remember watching seasons of that show and seeing people responding to it going, this show is garbage. The only season that was good was the first one. I'm not watching this shit anymore. And I'm going, how are they saying? I mean, like Coven was amazing. There are people hated Coven. I loved <laughs> Coven. I loved Hotel. Um, I didn't love Asylum. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't love it. There are some people that think Asylum is the best, the best season. Um, I liked Freak Show, but I didn't love it the way I loved Coven and eventually Hotel and Roanoke. For some reason, I finally understood what everybody else felt when they would like watch one or two episodes and go, you know what? Fuck this season. I know that these are all standalone seasons, even though now they're all being tied together. So Mindhunter, we know that you're tying your seasons together. I'm not going to be pissed at you down the road. Um, but, you know, they are still, for the most part, standalone seasons. Cult. I was disappointed that that was even the sort of like topic, you know what I mean? So I was like, fucking hell, guys, get back to get back to what made you good in the beginning. And at least this next season coming up is called Apocalypse. But it's the car. It's the crossover between Coven and Murder House. So they're going back to the stronger seasons and bringing that shit forward. We're going to finally see what happens with the demon baby, the rubber band baby that conceived the baby in the house and all that shit. So that's cool. I'm really glad about that. One of the things that I would say that that would make me think about in terms of Mindhunter is the element that we have like that is, is the BTK going to be the main focus of a season down the road? And you know what I mean? I think that it, it has the potential, but it's not going to be. It's not and, season two. And, no, it's not season two. It has the potential for maybe the, the fourth or fifth season. But the reason is. One of the things that Douglas admits is that the first time he read this case file, he was floored by it. And several of the, yes, several of the detectives on more than one occasion came out to Virginia to have him profile this guy and try to help figure out who did it. And he still I mean, he 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 went down there after he was caught. And the big thing that he wanted to do was he wanted to talk to this guy and find out. Yeah. You know? where he was as far as how close and, and everything else like that with his with his guesses. So I think the reason we get these BTK snippets, and I think what we'll get is we'll continue to get bits of it, but they might continue to fictionalize and keep these two main characters as sort of a catch-all for a lot of the people who led some of the investigations just so that we're not getting new faces every season for the mains. Um, because Douglas, he retires in like '94, you right. know. Um, so and and but he does oh go crap! So what is that? What if that means that eventually the show is going to have Holden retire, and or, or that would be where they fictionalize him and have him stick around yeah. to catch yeah. BTK? And that's what I think you've got going on. And well, and it wasn't even he wasn't even the one, but he actually contributed some of the idea to what they should do to to draw him out and he was he was haunted by nightmares about this guy pretty much his whole life after reading the case files on the otero family yeah well that's kind of nuts you it, know, the... stuck with it stuck with him it really really did and i think that's why we're getting it and i think if he has a say in how this is being done 
I think that's what they picked up on is yeah. how much that single case because he does so many other cases. He does the the the, the Tylenol murders when people were afraid to buy Tylenol, oh, yeah, yeah. and why we now have all these protective seals on everything because that wasn't the way of things back before the Tylenol murders. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, there's an entire industry that says thank you for the Tylenol murder. You know, and now that definitely starts putting it back. I'm gonna be that guy this episode. I think that's I'm I'm my holdenness is that I keep saying, you know what? I buy the conspiracy behind that one too. Well, you know what I mean? Like, what if there was a political pushback? What if what if manufacturers are like, fuck that? Now you want us to put seals on this shit? You want us to put these foil seals? How now I gotta buy foil? Now we gotta make fuck that man. No, if you're not gonna subsidize my increased costs for your regulation, we're not doing it. And they're like, Well, what's it gonna take? All right, you know what? Let's put a bunch of rat poison in a couple shipments of their shit and have it hit the public waves that Tylenol is being bottled with rat poison in it. And and the thing is, like, wasn't the the CEO of um the company that owned Tylenol didn't he without hesitation like pull everything <laughs> pull everything Johnson off the shelves Johnson and Johnson is the parent company that owned it yeah they yeah. they you walk into the store the next day and and shelves were empty yeah you know this was an, a Philadelphia only situation I mean we end up getting copycats here and there but this was only a Philadelphia case but he got called in to profile that he did Atlanta and he was very instrumental in Atlanta so he has a lot of other cases. Um, a lot of other serial cases, and he is never actually involved in Kansas with BTK, but it's a case that stuck with him forever, and he was used as a consultant. Well, it's know? also the idea that while they're developing this system that's supposed to let them find people like BTK, um, and I don't know if they're, if the idea is that like independently BTK is perfecting his own system that's like the anti system to theirs, because he eventually you know what we see in the finale, which I know we'll talk about next episode, but it's it's worth mentioning here. We see him burning all of these um drawings that he made that were I'm guessing sort of trophies that were documenting the way he tortured some of the people, and um so. That's part of, I think, his thing is realizing, like, oh, I better start not keeping shit like this. You well, know what I mean? Actually, he does keep it. They have so much. They got so much evidence from him that it took weeks to sift through it all because he kept everything. He had folders in his office where he was working as a, a code enforcement officer in, in Park City in the bottom filing cabinet. He told them where everything was. He told them where the stuff was at his house, where the stuff was in his office, just so that when they went to his house, they wouldn't trash his house and, now, and ruin his house. Now, I mean, when he goes to jail, I mean, I guess, you know, spec is an interesting one to kind of talk about and counterpoint to that. Someone like him, did that? does he get put in solitary confinement so that he's not just instantly killed by all the other well, inmates? You know, I mean, because... Well, He's got a couple of strikes against him. For one, his notoriety makes him an instant target. I mean, we saw that with Dahmer. But the other thing is he had child victims. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That That's does not. Bullseye. Yeah. That is bullseye. So, you know, he he killed children. Yeah. That, that's you don't walk the yard. He's in 23 hour lockdown. He gets an hour of outside time a day that he can voluntarily take, which apparently he has so far never taken because what it is, is there are cages yeah. and they walk them out and they put them in a cage, but they bring out other guys at the same time. So if he went out there, he'd have to listen to all those other guys in that area 
talking bad to him and, and he doesn't want that. So he doesn't ever go outside. He stays in his cell 24 seven. So it's funny because the spec thing brings that up. The idea of um, even them going to visit some of these guys is problematic because it, it immediately puts them in snitch territory. Like just, you were talking to suits. You must've been snitching about something and you know, snitches get stitches and whatever. You don't talk to cops. You don't talk to guards. That's the way of it. You know, I mean, I mean, granted, there's 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 casual banter that takes place, but you don't go someplace alone away from Gen Pop and kick it. With yeah, that. I mean, that's you. You're a dead man walking with that. But now, like with Kemper, it doesn't seem like it's even a consideration. Like, cause he is it just because he's towering over everybody? Like, you know, yeah. like no, because big targets like that are our favorite targets because you knock that target off, and you know, I mean, that's that's a number for you. But thing is, is notice that when he was brought in, it was in a place completely separated from the rest that nobody saw them come in. Inmates didn't see him come in and he could have been taken to medical. He could have been taken to counselor. He could have been taken to any number of possible, you know, locations. The fact that he's going to talk to, to feds um, doesn't have to be t general population knowledge. Meanwhile, the, the deputy warden at Joliet decided to parade them right in and we even find out later that Speck got jumped because of it. Um, yeah. Well, and they tossed his cell, you know, so they rile up the whole, you know, they get the whole group sort of on, on that tier sort of sort of amped and they stir up all the emotions. That's a calculated move. And guards know how to stir things up just as well as anybody else. Wow. So you know, they stirred that up. That was an intentional thing. Get you your know? hands off my shit, you goddamn peckerwood. I loved the guy playing Richard Speck. You know, one of the things they've done so well with the show is uh, having the performances by the people portraying the serial killers uh, really be stand out, you know. Um, and the fact that, you know, Tench was trying to be by the book and that it's not until Holden drops down into the dirt to get the truffles and actually drops the C-bomb. And it's, yeah. and you know, like... I kind of identified with Holden in that idea that like that becomes such a central focus towards the end, the latter third or latter half of the episode. But it is like even the music in the scene changes when he does that, because, you know, that means he's just unlocked the vault. And now we're going to get all this serial killer knowledge is just going to oh, come yeah. flowing out. And then, I mean, like the charisma, the charisma of spec is amazing. You know, his character you want to hear him keep talking and you almost like you're, you're kind of almost like, come on, come on just a little further as he's starting to become kind of more normal when he's talking about things. Yeah. Um, there's, that, that line was meant to soften him up to get him to, you know, to I'm going to crawl down here with you, man. I get I'm just like you dude, just cause I'm wearing a suit, you know? And again, that's where I, how, how is he not supposed to think? How are we not as the audience supposed to at least have that inkling? Like Holden is way too close to these guys. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, wait, can I see your, can I see your tattoo? Like, what are you a fucking groupie? You're going to ask to suck his dick in a minute. Like, what is this? You know what I mean? And that's, you know, like, what the hell you want little boy. You want to come over here? You're going to have to lift roll up. up my yeah. Yeah, you want to pet my bird too. Kind of the the famous signature identifier for this guy, you know. And it's just I, that whole sequence, you know. It the thing with the with the with the bird and everything else like that. I mean, you you really get an idea. And I was sort of 
I was sort of on the other side of the fence for that one. I was like, you know what? You're not going to get anything solid off of this guy. Hmm. Hey, his pathology is not going to let him talk. And maybe that's just because as soon as the character was being portrayed, I ate dinner with dudes like that. So I know that guy. Yeah. And you're not going to get anything from him. And I know you're not going to get anything from him. And I understand that he's trying to get, you know, he, he's trying to find out as much as possible. But this is one of those cases where maybe, you know what, we can take a pass on this. Yeah, you're kind of doing this more because you want to do it than you than you actually think you're going to get anything out of it. Manson um, ends up becoming the same thing for them because they eventually do interview Manson and he talks about it in the book and he says Manson's the worst interview he ever had. He said the guy's a lunatic and he's full of himself. And, yeah, but he well, says, if you've ever seen any footage of his parole hearings where right. it's like, you know, you're just like, Jesus, dude. You know, I, and... Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are times that at least lately in the, the most recent iteration of our existence here and especially in the U.S., but I think in general, like there are so many stressors in life just inherent in the fact that everything is so complex and interconnected. Um, I I've definitely feel like I've had moments where I felt like, like, God damn it, like my mind is all over the place. If I tried to put a full sentence together right now, it would sound ridiculous. But because we've got these guys there's a new like layer of my thinking will be like, Oh my God, you don't want people to think you're anywhere near like these guys, man. You can't let anybody ever see or hear this. Um, but you know, like the, the moments when you're alone and you're like so confused that you get frustrated enough to do that little like thing that BTK did at the beginning. And you're like, fuck man, I got something in common with these guys. God damn. I am not holding. I mean, there's no excuse for holding. He's supposed to be exposed to them. He's supposed to get into their mindset. Like me, I'm just like average Joe. And, and I, I think it's the, uh, there's a great line from the show lost, which I think in season one, even if you go rewatch it, it still feels like, oh, this is going to be the best show ever created for TV. Um, where Locke says, like, you know, crazy people don't think they're going crazy. They think they're getting saner. So if you even think the thought to yourself, like, fuck, I'm going crazy. That's like your emergency last way. Like, that's your totem from Inception. That's your way of knowing that you're still on the okay side of crazy. Because once you've gone past where, like, you're somebody like a BTK who's sitting around with all the shit in their car to like bind, torture and kill and just going around and not feeling anything about that, not feeling weird. Um, that's when it's too far. That's when you think, oh, I'm super sane. I see more than anybody else. And that's what you hear, at least in the one piece of footage that my uh, high school uh, U.S. History 2 teacher used uh, in class. I forget why we were talking about Manson, probably just because it was part of like Americana. Because and that's because of Speck, because uh, when Douglas interviewed Speck, uh, and I was just saying that, you know, this was one of those interviews that maybe he could have walked away from instead of getting so, you know. Instead oh, no, I meant in high school. Like, I can't remember why the teacher was talking about Manson in high school, but I know uh -oh. that's where I saw the footage. Yeah. And the footage of him talking, you were just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> You're like, like this guy never stops and thinks, well, I'm pretty fucking crazy. Like, he thinks he's more, he knows more than everybody else. Like, he actually feels like he's the smartest person in the room. And, um, and so, you know, there's a certain level of uh, comfort I've had in the idea that, like, every time I feel like I'm getting a little 
close to what that little btk frustration movement is is that i still say to myself well shit man i'm going nuts i need to like take a break it's like all right dude i still recognize that you know i still say i'm going crazy i'm still technically doing something that crazy people don't do i'm all good i'm okay whatever we whatever you need to hold on to right whatever your totem turns out to be <laughs> to keep your mind safe in this incepted world so we uh we've we've, we've uh we kind of a lot of a lot of things that sort of we can feed from that this episode sort of brings up but what I wanted to move towards is the cover up arc of yeah. this story with spec well and, uh, well there's the bridge that comes between these two things is debbie coming back and yeah. while debbie and holden are having one of their first like nights back together um mrs wade uh, uh, or what's or yeah. what is yeah it shows up the, the principal's the principal's wife but th see that was the thing that i was almost disappointed on the show is the way that it, him and debbie get back together is he walks by a laundromat caesar walks in and now all of a sudden they're back together and yeah i'm sure they don't want to bog the show down with a lot of that stuff because that's really not what this show was about but i was just like uh, no i could totally see it i could totally see it that one i i was because you know, apparently, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you need these little bumps in the road to make you realize what you lost or what you uh, were taking for granted, I guess. And I can totally see. I mean, like, it's not like he's got prospects anywhere else. Holden's married to two things in this show. And one of them was Debbie. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and the thing is that he's so... Uh, methodical with his principles that when he walked into that party and saw Debbie way too close to uh, Patrick, <laughs> it was easy for him to just turn and walk out. But it was also childish because he not only turned and walked out, but then he ran to make sure he was at the bottom of the steps by the time she got to the top of them, which I felt like the first part of the move seems so badass and ballsy. And then the second part of him running away, I'm like, well, now you look like a little fucking kid, dude. Like, <laughs> and, and and so I kind of feel like it would make sense for that to wear off. And especially the first time he just happens to run into her. I mean, that wasn't like he's not like BTK yet. He's not plotting roots from his grocery store to make sure it coincides with where she does her laundry. Yeah. The laundromat is a reveal in two ways in this show, in this episode, because we get we get Holden walking by, you know, like the fact that he just like looked up and it was almost like finding happiness in a store you know what i mean just hanging in the in the display window for you yeah. um you know i'm sure the vacancy of her not being there was very very much felt and and i could and she definitely had a disarmed look of like yeah i don't even know how to say how sorry i am and i realize how fucked up that was you know it was just i could see and i i guess also from having been around a lot of relationships in college and high school like that where like weren't you two just fighting yesterday and like talking about murdering each other and now like you guys are like all fucking cutesy again in the library that's that's great i'm gonna go fucking study for my final i'll see you later and i, I mean of course at that time I didn't have a girlfriend, so I was I was like pissed at everybody. <laughs> I was just like one of these fucking serial killers, but I just kept I kept faith it would happen. And holy shit, look at that. It worked out. Um, but I don't know. And I liked that she came back because I really liked her as part of the show. I was really pissed. But what is weird is that we don't know. Did they talk about things or did they just kind of have that 
meet second meet cute you know like the oh you know i saw you and instantly everything came rushing back and who cares who was right who was wrong let's just forget it and move forward um they're definitely not fully back to normal yeah and, well, uh, but in a way they sort of are on a more honest level because she's no longer filtering anything she says She's just going to come out and say, you know, oh, okay, when it's about your stuff, you, you're all oh, over Oh, yeah. It. And, but like, is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? You know, when you say, hear them say shit like that, you're like, oh, yeah. fuck. This is bad. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> comes back and decides to, come, you know, come back with complete honesty. I mean, I think we see that. Um, and if that plays into something later, I we can only speculate. But uh, I was just – me personally, I was – I just wanted that scene to be over with. I yeah, to- no, I know. I think for some reason watching it again for the show tonight, when Mrs. Wade says to Debbie, like, do you know what kind of person you're married to? And then Debbie says, oh, we're not married. And she goes, oh, good. There's time. I yeah. was like, oh, shit. Pay attention to that, folks at home. <laughs> you know, we're like put a pin in that one for next episode because holy shit. I mean, it was the also the other thing about this. Um, and I don't know, maybe I want to see serial killers everywhere because of this show. Uh, the way that Mrs. Wade was talking to Holden when he even says something like, how did you find out where I lived? And she goes, it wasn't hard. He's like, you might not want to follow a federal agent. I'm like, is everybody kind of like by default sliding into serial killer mode? You know, like in my mind now, anytime someone shows any tendency towards stalking or knowing more about you than they should without you having told them, my mind now just instantly, you're fucking murdering people. How many people have you killed already? Like, like, let's see your freezer. Go to the fucking take your laptop. Go to the freezer. I want you to FaceTime me the inside of your shit right now. I need to see what I'm dealing with. I need to know what this is. <laughs> it's it's sort of that whole thing is if I say a red car, you're every place you go, you're gonna see every red car there is. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and that's one of those things is it's how we become a suspicious culture. You know, because once we see one this, we lump everything into that. And it doesn't it it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with it or not. You know, I mean, you and I will discuss that sort of situation when when we go to our other (laughs) investigative show, The Staircase. Yeah, the podcast under the stairs, man. (laughs) You know, so it's it is one of those things where when you're talking about seeing a serial killer in everybody that in in everywhere that you're at it's because you've been inundated with this and also you have to understand if we're doing this based on what we're seeing just on this show what do you think it had to be like for them at this stage of their careers as they were digging this stuff up oh my well that's the thing you know and i i i you know, you put all that together in the context of this moment. You've got Debbie and and Holden are finally having dinner together in his place, you know, which is a lot more in the streamlined, organized, disciplined atmosphere. And then you have this person come in. And even the way she looks at the situation, you know, she's holding Holden responsible. It's very, very interesting that we've got a lot of this shit going on in reality now, too, is it's like you don't you care less about the fact that there was a crime. You care more about the fact that your 
person who you think was good, except for this one little weird fucking thing they did, should have been left alone. You're mad at the person for pointing it out. Then you then more mad at them than you are at the situation that your person was creating. You know, like the fact that she would was holding on to the he didn't do anything wrong. You know, we said it last episode, and I feel like he was being very cautious and trying to tread lightly with how he dealt with her. But he was just like, you know what? He was given several opportunities to stop doing the thing that he was doing that people didn't like. I don't give a shit if you think it was wrong, if he thinks it was wrong. I don't care. Did his job matter enough to him to fucking stop tickling fucking kids feet? No, <laughs> it didn't. Now, all of a sudden, now that he can't get a job, tell him to work at a gas station. Tell him to go work at a lumber yard. Tell him to work somewhere where there are no kids that you don't need a college degree to get started in. Because guess what, man? The fact that tickling kids feet was that important to him alone is enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, and that was the thing. I mean, and, and the, this episode, they sort of that's where that ties in to that whole scene when they're talking to the director because they get a little cocky, you know, mm. we're seeing our stuff work now. Yeah. This real world stuff starting to work. We've got proof. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got evidence that well, my idea works. Yeah. Well, the, the Atlanta case kind of comes in at the exact perfect time for that, you know, like, cause here we are again, you know, like we, they've already, it worked before, but it didn't completely go the full distance because of that case where the DA took the easier out and prosecuted the older brother. Yeah. And or, or prosecuted the let the brother with less mental faculties, gave the older brother parole, you know, like basically a bunch of crap like where it's like shit, you know, it's like we got 80 percent there. Yeah. This one, they have the chance for it to be a full and, and you even see in the intake. And that's what sucks is like it's separated. Like while they're down in Atlanta doing that, you got Wendy Carr up in D.C. One immediately like I don't like the dynamic between her and uh, Daniels because it's too. um She's just going to tow the company line no matter what, you know, or or I think I suddenly got a more self-serving feeling about her this episode in particular than i had before university her university side really showed in this episode yeah yeah the interdepartmental politics and bullshit and backstabbing because i mean hmm i'm trying to should we jump to the we'll jump to that because then we can go back to atlanta and then come back to this at the end because but and then spec is what really brings it all back right because he decides to file a complaint after getting jumped after they leave and because he used the term, uh, he said that hold he names Holden directly and says that he fucked with his mind. Um, I guess <laughs> by getting him to talk, you know what I mean? It's sort of like I don't even know how does he define what being what having his mind fucked with is. Um, but it's also like I, I understand Holden's frustration. He's like, You're getting pissed about how I talked to a serial killer. You know what I mean? The guy who admitted to raping people and murdered like nine people, you know, like I'm yeah. supposed it's it's like I could kind of feel like him feeling a little like the warden going like, who the fuck cares about this guy? Like this guy already cashed the check of people giving a shit about him for the rest of eternity. All right. Like that's how that about goes. Results. He's about results and he's getting results. And he is that's see, and this is the problem when you have someone who is ahead of their time. Yeah. If you're ahead of your time, everybody else is trying to figure out what the hell you're doing 
because it does not make sense. Okay. And if you're one of those guys that's behind the time, you're looking at these other people going, I don't understand. I mean, case in point, this, our interaction is almost a perfect case in point because this is a, you have, you have taken on a, a branch of media that I can't fathom, you know? I mean, you have gone in with, with Hollow Nine and, and created something out of literally nothing, you know? I mean, this is, you, you've thrown something on the air and I sit there and I look at what's going on and shows like what we're doing here with Mindhunter and, 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 and the stairs and, and the Tangent City and everything else like that. And it's like, I can't catch up to that. <laughs> I, and I have to write books. But that's where these direct the director is, is he's not able to catch up with these guys. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think Carr is. I don't think Wendy is either. Well, she is, but I think what I felt more this viewing than I, I don't know why watching it for this podcast record, I felt like was uh, the one I picked up the most new nuance. Uh, I felt like this was the first time we saw her being almost jealous, protective of it. Like you can tell at some point there's going to be a butting of heads over whose idea this all was and who should get the credit because she not only fucks up when she's talking to Daniels, because when he starts to say we've had an issue, there's been a file a complaint filed with the Office of Professional Conduct. And she goes, is this about Brutos? And he goes, no, it's about spec. And so then you see she instantly looks down because it's like, oh, shit. Well, now I just told him that there was something about Brutos, too. So if he thought this was a single incident, now I've just confirmed that it's a so multiple incidents. And now we're already getting into if there's one more, it goes beyond coincidence. It goes into uh happenstance you know once is happenstance twice is coincidence third time is is intentional um that's so the beauty of police work it, it, when you realize that what they do is sort of a learned art form he threw out a generalization mm -hmm. and managed to fish in a little more than just the fish they were looking for which it you know also shows that she's in over her head as yeah. far as the the departmental the structure how the bureaucracy of the federal bureau of investigation works and when i guess she listens to the tape when they so they get the they get they get the complaint she tells them and she kind of notices when holden tells smith not to bring the tape just to bring the transcript. So while they're up meeting with the with the Office of Professional Conduct, she listens to the tape and then must run and get Daniels because when they come back, Daniels is listening to the tape too. And her face, like the I smell shit face, you know, the like the super yeah. bitchy. <laughs> and it got to the point where even Holden had to say, look, I started this. OK, <laughs> you know what I mean? And she didn't say anything back, but you could tell because she even said, like, she's like, we're making progress because of all the conclusions we're drawing after, not these gems that you think you're getting. It got catty. It got really, really catty, yeah. which ironically, she doesn't know what happened to the cat that she's been feeding. Right. She went to go <laughs> check on the, the tuna can and it was just full of ants. Yeah, that now, was... I, I think we've mentioned this before, but just because it happened in this episode, it'd probably be remiss to not talk about it. What did you did you pull anything from that? That was the second place where the laundry room was supposed to be revealing. And Do for it... me, that was, you know what? Uh, are they going to allude to the fact that there's a serial killer in her building? Yes. Now, I that got strangled. <laughs> uh, well, this that the cat that was around that she was feeding isn't around anymore because 
potentially somebody. there's somebody in the building who's a budding serial killer. Yeah. And now, to me, though, I kind of feel like there's not enough on the screen to really get that. That even the per- it's, it's a huge leap. It's definitely a huge leap. Yeah, even the article I read it in, the person writing the article was like, I don't even know if I buy this, but that was what Fincher said is supposed to be represented by the cat, the whole situation with the cat. And, I, and watching that, you know, by the time you get to this point in the series, this is the whole thing of now you're seeing serial killers everywhere. Right, right. Oh, and, could have been hit by a car, man. <laughs> or it could have just gone further along on whatever its stray journey is. I mean, cats just go fucking like we'll return to its owner. That, there's a like a million things it could be. <laughs> what I what I took it to be was to show that she can't control things the way she thinks she can. You know, like in her mind, her taking on that role of providing the ca- the can of tuna for that fish and um, for that fish for that cat she's done this a couple times she has now made this sort of part of like her extracurricular routine and that's her trying to coax this thing i think her plan eventually was to bring it in and keep it as a pet that's now that could be a leap for me but i feel like that leap is a lot closer to what we're presented with as reality than oh my god there was a cat which we haven't even seen on screen yet that she was leaving food for that all of a sudden tonight didn't come back for the food. How in God's name is that supposed to equate? If you had shown us the BTK strangling a cat in the beginning of the episode, maybe I would think it, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't feel like there's enough there. And I felt like reading that in that article showed that even somebody who's a master of craft, like David Fincher, someone notorious for doing 50 takes of a single scene, and then using like the third take in the film, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, he, it's surprising to me. I wonder if there's a deleted scene somewhere that, that we're not going to see until maybe this gets released on Blu-ray or something. I don't know. And um, yet he got us to talk about it for how long? <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing is, though, if he had never said that in that article and we hadn't spoken about it before, I don't know that it would have been necessarily any of our first guesses, right? You know, that's, and I think that's my big thing with it. I think I have to go back and listen to our episode one, because I do think that the, or, or. It was, it was, it was after the first one, but it was definitely earlier. We talked about this earlier on. So those of you who listened and follow the podcast, you, you, we've had this discussion about the cat and the, then the cat not showing up, but, and that I think is before you got a hold your hands on that ep on that, article we can't be the only ones and that see that is the beauty of this little thing we have going on is it's these are the conversations you're having at the water cooler about the show yeah yeah the water cooler is the entire world now (laughs) the the water cooler is digitally connected to the entire world welcome Um, to the global water cooler there's your next show you you, i don't even have to get you know i don't you don't even have to ask me for rights uh, it was incepted here (laughs) tonight on mine hunter nine global water cooler on the ninth episode ninth episode is where we're like game of thrones man our ninth episode is where the really big shit happens and then 10 is where we just kind of ease out of the fact that the season's ending um (laughs) and then make everybody wait until november (laughs) yeah yeah seriously Sorry, didn't mean to do that with Tangent City. That that happened kind of by accident. Um, but the idea, too, though, that we have them, we see them in the uh, meeting with the people from the Office of Professional Conduct, and even they pull some shit where, like, they stop the recorder and say, man, 
speck what a shit stain it's like for fuck's sake man i'm being i'm being fucking hung right now for the shit you literally just did and you're the one who's hanging me like damn fascists man everywhere always is that what the f and fbi really stands for come on that's the way the system works man if you're the one sitting in the position of power you get to make the rules as you go along fucking sucks man i don't like it <laughs> i don't like that at all I've got a very close close personal friend who's a native american who can attest to that fact. oh geez wow yeah that's gotta be that's a whole other podcast that's yeah, beyond under the stairs <laughs> throw something out there just to make your eyebrows knit just a little tighter together <laughs> let's talk about atlanta then <laughs> let's talk about child killers in atlanta and yeah. So that'll be uh, that'll be upcoming. Now we we well, do we do have one. <laughs> yeah, we do get the start of that case where Greg Smith and, and I want to save the Greg Smith ending for our for our wrap up. But this is where Greg Smith, you know, gets a chance to sort of contribute. You know, he's the one that comes in with the pictures and and like you were saying last episode, it's all of a sudden feels like he's been there forever. Yeah. Well, there's still and there's other staff walking around. So it's like their office is now buzzing more yeah. than it was when they were just the first three people in the basement. Still in the basement. But the, yeah, so it's it's he gets to finally bring something up. And this is where you get a chance to see that for him. The reason this touches so close to home is because he's already said, I mean, he has a family, mm. he's got wife and kids. And, you know, it's it's that thing where. This means something to him, you know, and he wants to be a part of it. He also, you know, kind of they were they were like, all right, you tell me what you see. You know what I mean? Like it was it was one of those like, all right, today's the day you're getting jumped up from 101 to 102. And, yeah. and we're going to let you you tell us what are in what's in those pictures. And by yeah. the end of it, you had tense going, good job, man. You know, like it, it was kind of like we've all been there. We've all been the rookie on the team. And this is the first day they're letting you do the work yourself. And, oh, shit, you did an awesome job. Cool. We're supposed to like you for this 10 minutes of the episode now. And that's yeah. what takes us down to Atlanta where yeah. we, get, you know, we get, we're gonna hate you in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, yeah, that's and that's the thing. They can't do that. You know, they can't bring you up out of obscurity without it being a setup for something later. So, you know, um, and then the thing and I guess that's, too, is why every time Holden becomes more successful, I'm like, well, shit, man, this guy's got to become a serial killer because when they go to Atlanta, when they go to Georgia and they see the scene uh, or they they're they're sort of looking at the area where the, the girl was abducted from the majorette. Right. I forget what right. her name is. Yeah, um, not good for I man. It's like of all the other shit I noticed this episode, her name is escaping me now. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and and, you know, they are not only asking questions that um probably you know as soon as they look up and see the sheared tree branches and immediately tensions like how often does this get done you know like there are a lot of these things where that you can see the local cop is like fuck i didn't even now every <laughs> every murder scene i gotta go to from now on i gotta look up at the trees and see if anybody's cut any branches and you know a lot of these things too um manhunter the michael mann film starring william peterson and um tom noonan uh, the prequel, basically, to Silence of the Lambs before it, the Silence of the Lambs established a new look and feel for the franchise. Right. A lot of these similar elements, you know, I'm sure some of the the Thomas Harris novels that the whole Hannibal Lecter series are based on. Uh, 
I'm sure some of these cases had to be part of his research for some of these details because the, the idea of the tree branches being cleared being part of what um, allowed the killer to survey his prey and, and get their routine down is something prominent uh, in one of the investigations in that movie. And, um, you know, we have a suspect. We don't meet the suspect this episode, but they do this really cool mind meld thing, which I, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, where as the uh, as they suddenly like, just from looking, being on boots on the ground where the girl was kidnapped, they have all these questions that lead that local officer to making two phone calls that then net them immediately a suspect. And as soon as that happens, they go into this next mode of like, you know, questioning, but not questioning sort of telepathy almost. And I think we catch a glint in the local cop's eye going, what the fuck am I looking at here? You know what I mean? Like, like these guys are talking like serial killers now, you know, like, and that is another example of just being so far ahead of the game. You know, I mean, I, I, to, to, to use a sports analogy, you know, I mean, I watched Jordan go from college to the pros and own the NBA, you know. I watched the Montana rise to, to, to fame in a system basically designed around his ability, you know. And it's when you've got the opportunity to see something that is so new and so far above and beyond what everybody else is capable of it's it's inspiring and and it makes you kind of wonder what's wrong with everybody else yeah why yeah. is everybody else not on that plane yeah. you know and if you're the guy that's supposed to be working in that field i mean i'm sure that there were plenty of guys that were on the court that were in you know the the, the bad position on a michael jordan poster going how the hell did that guy happen yeah you know yeah. And I think what we're seeing is the law enforcement equivalence of that. You know, this is this this guy was almost a Jordan in, you know, a league that, you know, didn't have anybody that was out outstanding. And then he has to come back to the office and have people going, why did you use the C word in this interview with a guy who uses the C word and admitted to raping people and murdering people? You know, for him getting that question is almost like, are you shitting me? That's like asking why I shot the ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you? Isn't this it's, what you have me doing this for? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's 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 all. It, it could be seen as very demeaning. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, do you, do you really not understand? Yeah, and you're the guy that I report to. You're my boss, and I gotta explain this to you. What the? Fuck? How is this happening? And this is where you also run that parallel to serial killers who think they're so much smarter than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And you can see it from him right there. There's an arrogance there to his intellect, you know, but you can't be that good and not have some degree of arrogance. Well, it's because it's frustrating when you're like, wait, I really have to take a minute to explain this to you. Like you, you're supposed to be jumping for joy every time I come up with something new that helps us get further along. That was my understanding of what the boss worker relationship was. If you're telling me it's different because you're too sensitive to language in the FBI. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. dude, we have to stop terrorists. <laughs> we have to fight wars within our borders. Are you kidding me? It is very surprising. But at the same time, 
<clears throat> their behavioral science, you know, like they carry guns, but we don't see them going on raids. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're kind of more of the academic administrative side of law enforcement. So if anything, well, I would see them like be doing witchcraft. And oh, they're also the more corporatized, you know what I mean? Like they're they're the part where there's going to be the corporate, the red tape, the bureaucracy, the people out in the field undercover or hunting down drug dealers or whatever is going on in the 70s at that time. Because mm -hmm. uh, I'm feeling a lot of our crimes that we have now weren't so big back then, other than murder. Other than serial. <laughs> the religious cults were big. I mean, those were kind of oh, true. So those were really sort of the 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 rage. So, so do we talk about Greg Smith now? Or are we yeah, ready? I mean, that's kind of where we are because even even with all the good, you know, uh, the house of cards crumbles from within. Yeah, and Bastard. here is the rub the 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 tape that doesn't exist, the redacted thing. This would be the equivalent of finding the missing Nixon tape. Yeah, yeah, for, for them. Yeah, and granted, on a much smaller level, but still, this is those three minutes right now are kind of what's saving their ass from being dragged down the hall and you know censored or written up or basically disbanded. And what does Greg Smith do? And this is what kills me: is after him bringing the Georgia murder to their, you know, to the office and having getting support on it we get a closing sequence of him pulling out the spec tape and dropping it in an envelope and mailing it to the department of oversight. And it's the, one of those things too, where you're like, you know, I guess we saw a little hint of it when he sided with, uh, with, um, the principal when they were talking about, you know, uh, piggy goes to the market or whatever the hell where he 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 agreed and later on holden said to him don't take sides against us ever like don't ever identify with them like you know very godfather sounding there don't ever take sides against the family but it was the idea of like you're not supposed to you're not supposed to team up with them against us like we are here to make them nervous we're here to get them to admit things uh, so we already had that sort of level of we're like, all right, this guy doesn't quite have the stomach for doing everything that needs to be done. I feel like we got the same thing from Wendy Carr, too, though, in this episode, because like she she's the one who felt the need to run and tell. Like Ultimately, they got away with it. Not that this is even something I feel like they should have had to get away with. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And Holden feels the same way. Like it is fucking ridiculous that we're even having to talk about this, but they did get away with it. Those guys bought the excuse, excuse. They told them that they reused the tapes and they already taped that one over, but all we have is a transcript. And they said, all right, don't do that anymore. Fine. But for this to now suddenly... And she even said, it's not too late. We can still give it to them. And, and he's like, no, because as soon as we do that, now you guys have lied. Like, you get that? Like, right now, it worked. He goes, I'm not happy about it. This is the first time in my professional career I felt like this and I resent it. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely... You can't believe. <laughs> well, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that particular comment once uh yeah. with someone who was just like they didn't they didn't go that level but they flat out said like well all right fine i guess i'm just gonna have to just gonna have to accept this and hope nothing ever comes of it but um i gotta tell you i'm not happy about it and i'm not comfortable with it and i'm like thanks dude well the rest of the real world thanks you because we realize it's not such a big deal you know it, and some of these things i think that's just how the adult world works guys is that every once in a while if that's the, if the system is stacked and you got through and that's going to be the end of it, fine. You know what I mean? 
This is one of those things, not like BTK leaving six kids in a bathroom who now have to grow up with the trauma of going out and discovering their mom's body. This is like three minutes of tape that don't really change the outcome because what Speck is complaining about is bullshit anyway. But yeah. the fact that then this goody two shoes, all because also the Daniels use the word cover up. If he hadn't used the word cover up, I think. Uh, Greg yeah. Smith might have been a little bit more at ease, but uh, his first, I can't be part of a cover-up. Oh, asshole, you already lied to them, so you are a part of the cover-up. Like, yeah. again, though, you got away with it. Just let it fucking go. And that's the problem, and that's what makes, and that's the difference between Smith's way of betraying them and, and cars. He's part of them. He is FBI. She's still just an administrator from a school. She's still right. just an academic. For him to do what he did is so much more egregious because, you know, I mean, as much as we don't want to, you know, admit that the the blue line is there, that it is very, very present and it's a real thing. Yeah, not just that branch of of anything. It's it's that way across the board, you know, in any in any faction. I mean, it's that it was that way with inmates, you know, inmates mm -hmm. rat on inmates. I mean, it's it's just. You know, if you've got a friend, you don't, you don't. Turn it's, just that, it's just that there is nothing to be gained from this. You exactly. know, his exactly. personal comfort is the only thing. And in fact, what pisses me off the most, I love that Tench just came out of his office. And he's like, for God's sake, just burn the fucking tape. That way it's done. It's over. Yeah. There's no way they'll ever find out because the tape doesn't exist anymore. Um, and to me. When you're in a situation like this where there's a group of people and a decision is made and that decision hinges on one of those people following through on something that we could tell they're already reluctant to do, do that shit right now in front of all of us. I want to see the tape in this garbage can. I want to see a match go in and I want to watch it burn for at least 10 minutes. And then I want to pour water on it. I want to pick that shit up and I want to shred it. And then we put it back in the can and set it on fire again. That is what we're going to do before any of us leave this room. It's Otherwise, guns are out and we're reservoir dogging right now. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Uh, I mean, because that's the thing. It's like, all right, well, this dude already sweat through his shirt getting I'm away with it. Travolta and let you be Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction. So I, I think so, I, I get gunned <laughs> down in a bathroom at some point. Yay. <laughs> While I'm taking a shit reading a book. <laughs> that's a great way to go out, I guess. Yeah. So oh, no, no, wait. It was after he came out. It was when the Pop-Tarts went out of the toaster. There you go. Pop-Tarts. But yeah, the, so that and that to me was a, a good wrap to that episode. Yeah, it really, it really sends something home to let you, for me anyway, see that their struggle is really just starting because even people in their own ranks are just gonna screw them because they don't get what's going on, and they're, they're so more scared about themselves than than pushing forward this new agenda that is trying to be created. And it's not even an agenda. That's the other thing. It's just like, hey, we figured some shit out. We know stuff we didn't know before. Yeah. How is that an agenda? But like, again, it's the fact that it serves nothing but this own this guy's own ego that yeah. he could say he he stopped a cover up. It's like, dude, pick your keep, fucking battles, he can keep man. His Boy Scout. He can keep his Boy Scout medals and and, you know, yeah. yeah, you may have kids, but you're still a fucking virgin, bro. Like, again, seriously. <laughs> again, this, harkens, this harkens to how recent 
the whole Nixon thing is in history at that point in time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, too. I mean, whistleblowers these days are getting uh, are risking getting in just as much trouble or, uh, you know, what I mean, even getting flat out outed as secret agents or killed or whatever. There's a lot. Like, there's a lot in play. I think it's 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 unfortunate because there's that's going to be a rift that they have to deal with now, you know, and uh, it'll come back to haunt us next episode. So we'll we'll stop here and wait till the next one to continue talking about it. With a little luck, we'll have the rest of the team here to close out season one as a full yeah. investigative team. Um, but uh, we will see what happens when the week <laughs> when the week goes by and we get here to Saturday night. For anybody who uh, tuned in live, uh, seeing that there is zero viewers, I know there are none of you. Um, uh, but for anybody who happens to be listening to this in the future, uh, we're kind of pretending that we actually did some live radio tonight. But anyway, thank you for checking us out. If you check this out late, or if you're checking us out on the recording after the fact. But at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say you guys know Saturday nights, eleven thirty p.m. Eastern when we kind of get on the horn and start talking about Mindhunter. So uh, feel free to look out for that secret link on the Hollow Nine Facebook page when we're ready to go and jump in the chat and chat with us. We have one episode left of season one before we uh, have to wait a few months for Netflix to bless us with an entire new cadre of episodes at which we'll time... We'll turn up in one weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then we'll have to figure out how to... Uh, binge forth uh because of course that'll be right around the time that we're hanging out at new york comic-con at the javits center um or maybe we'll still be over at new jersey horror con in atlantic city or jennifer might be still at dragon con in atlanta or we might be up in long island at the uh, li geek 4 2018 li geek convention lots no, going on i'm sorry <laughs> I keep talking over you again, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was probably. Yeah, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, no rush for Hollow Nine, man. No rush. <laughs> no rest. <laughs> no rest ever. Oh. Um, plus, we got a whole slew of stuff still coming out now. We got um, the, the Winona Earp podcast, 10 Minutes in Purgatory, is just burning up the airwaves out there. We got a lot of people love that show. So thank you for checking that out. If you're into that show on sci fi, you should check out our podcast run by the awesomes jennifer nine and jennifer erp jennifer erp is usually here with us and will hopefully be back next weekend for the uh finale um of course tangent city's on its way back i know we keep saying that but it's actually happening so uh, everybody can breathe easy um tw what do you got going on that we haven't talked about yet that you uh, want to remind everybody about i am still writing and uh hope to have something out in a couple of months now that I've got the creative juices back and what's probably going to be the most violent book I've ever written. Wow. <laughs> the most violent. And yeah. and I guess this is how, um, you know, watching Mindhunter and Staircase is manifesting itself on your side of the table. <laughs> exactly. I got you. Well, we will probably have to be somehow responsible for the therapy bills down the road. But until then, uh, everybody go check out TW stuff. You can find them on Amazon. Or you could go listen to Tangent Cities the first five hours and get ready for the next four that are coming out soon. And uh, until next time, we will uh, be back here to conclude the first phase of our investigation. So, um, you know, be well, watch out for stalking killers and, you know, just check the backseat of the car before you get in. Make sure you're in well lit areas. Always have your keys out, all that stuff. And uh, we'll be here next week as long as you are. Take care, guys. Until next time.